Welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Daniel. We have our second episode on Hyperion today by Dan Simmons. But before we get into that, Dan, I have an idea to run by you. And I have been holding on to this idea. I came up with it about a week ago after our last recording. And I have been looking forward to bringing this up with you because I think it's fantastic. You've been you've been incubating it. You've been sitting on it, letting it warm up. I've been teasing you with it, too. I know you've been pretty excited. Uh, I can't wait for it, actually. Okay. It's, of course, it's about LeBron. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Because I can't go more than three episodes without bringing our LeBron goal up. This is kind of a an alternate goal or just kind of an idea that will go off of our previous goal. Okay, so so the previous goal is essentially just that we want to have LeBron on the show talking about a fantasy novel. And we, we also talked about having him read uh, either Redwall or Aragon on the show. Yes. And I, I've been thinking about how to bring this up to you, how to phrase this, but I think I just want to... I've decided basically to just let it all go because in my excitement, I'm going to forget everything. So you ready? Yes. You know how a lot of podcasts will do kind of like fan appreciation things where they'll maybe do a giveaway or something like that? Uh Uh-huh. Imagine this. When we get LeBron to read, let's say, Redwall. Uh Uh-huh. We're going to also get him to sign his copy of Redwall. This is exactly what I thought of as soon as you started this. He's yeah, he's so he's going to sign a copy of Redwall and I don't know how we're going to pick which fan gets this copy of Redwall, but we're going to send it to a fan and that fan is going to have a copy of Redwall that is signed by LeBron James. I love this idea so much, Luke. I don't even like necessarily care about I don't like, obviously, I want the LeBron book. I'm not going to get it because we're giving it to a fan in this situation. Well, he might be able to... I mean, he might sign another one just, like, on the DL, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. We don't have to tell the tax man about that one. Right, yeah. Um, but I just really love... I don't even care if I get the book. I just really want there to be a person out there that has a Redwall book that is signed by LeBron James. So... What comes to my mind first is the so the Sandlot ends with uh, spoilers for the Sandlot, but everybody should have seen that. The Sandlot ends with the kid getting a baseball with signatures of all the players. I think it was the Yankees, all the players on the Yankees in some incredible season. Right. And how much crazier, but also better would that movie have been if it ended not with him getting assigned baseball with all these players from an incredible Yankees team, but a signed copy of Redwall with all these players from a baseball team or all the players from the Miami Heat when LeBron was on it and they won the championship. I'm going to say infinitely better because, okay, there's so many, there's so many reasons why this is fantastic. Yes. One, just the rarity of it. No one else will have a copy of, I'm going to say any fantasy novel. Nope. That is signed by LeBron James. Think how many signed LeBron James basketballs there are. I'll bet he gives those away at like every basketball camp that he participates in for little kids. Like he's definitely signing basketballs left and right for sure. Right, right. He's never signed a Red Wall book before. <laughs> and I'm just picturing this 
as whoever gets it, wh- whichever fan gets it, I'm hoping that they don't like make a big deal. Like they don't announce it mm. to people that they know. They just, they kind of have maybe, okay, so picture this. You're the fan that gets the Redwall book. You obviously are going to put it in a place that's very obvious in your house. Mm-hmm. Like let's say you have like, I don't know, maybe a floating shelf on your living room wall. Redwall's going on there. And someone, someone comes in, visits your, visits your home, and is like, interesting that they put Redwall up there. Takes, takes it down. Kind of, <laughs> kind of a rude guest. But, <laughs> and opens it, and it just says, hope you enjoyed this book as much as I did. LeBron James. <laughs> And the best part about that is, you know, the first thing they're going to think is, oh, they faked LeBron James signature on the inside of this book for some reason. That's kind of funny. And then because they're curious, they have to look up what LeBron James signature looks like. And so they do a quick Google like, oh, I wonder how similar they got it. And they're doing a side by side comparison and saying, no way. No. And they don't believe you for a long time. They don't not even enough to bring it up to you because they're like, ah, you're not going to get me. But it, it it eats at them for a little while until they ask you like, hey, that that copy of Redwall you got. Did you did you sign that or or what or what happened with that? And then, OK, when when they say that, OK, so I know we're called don't call it a book club, but I'm going to give whoever gets this book the privilege of calling it a book club just so they can say Oh, yeah, I was in a book club with LeBron James once. <laughs> Hot damn, Luke. <laughs> I have been I have been so excited for this idea. This is so incredible. The other so the other there's so many little like tiny things that are just like little sprinkles on top that make it so much better. Like there's no way you could sell this on eBay because there's no way anyone's going to believe you that it's LeBron James signature on a copy of Redwall. There's no way. So I know, I know. it's just for you. It's a nonsense thing that makes no sense. But it would be like, if I got it, it would be like my most cherished possession. <laughs> and then, so the next thing is, then you go on a never-ending quest to get famous athletes to sign this same copy of Redwall. Because the first one is LeBron James, but then every time there is a famous athlete at a mall or something doing signings you bring this copy of Redwall so that it elevates to legend status where professional athletes are talking amongst themselves about this person who brings a copy of this fantasy book that they've never read or have read yeah yeah they might have read it you don't know <laughs> and so you have this like legend of the Redwall book that all these it's like an honor to be in it at a certain point even 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 past that we could get just like more celebrities on the show and do like con- like the next Redwall books, you know? And I I don't want it to be like celebrities that it would make sense to be reading these books. No. Like give give me give me a signed uh Matameo copy by Taylor Swift <laughs> or Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Just anyone, anyone that makes no sense. (laughs) And then here, okay, here's another way to look at this that I think is fantastic. This person is not getting rid of this book, right? Whoever gets it. Never. They'll be buried with it. No, no, no. They're not being buried with it. Let's assume that they have children. This is going to become a family heirloom. Imagine if you had, I don't know, a grandfather or something that had gotten something like this. And then you can show off your copy of, I don't know, Lord of the Rings or something. I don't know what famous 
fantasy novels were around in in your great grandfather's <laughs> time, but you have like a signed copy of Lord of the Rings that's signed by I don't know Marlon Brando or something, <laughs> and so it's like, what? <laughs> What are you? Is this actually Marlon Brando? It's not. Like, no, no, no. But it's not Marlon Brando because Marlon Brando is in movies, which are like media. It's Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. Oh yeah, yeah, who, yeah, yeah. Good example. Yeah, it's Babe Ruth who signed your copy of the Lord of the Rings, and it's like what? It just makes zero sense whatsoever. <laughs> and then you get to say like, "Oh, my grandfather or grandmother was in a book club with uh, Babe Ruth, or in this case, LeBron James." <laughs> This is so incredible, <laughs> right? And okay, here's the thing. There's nothing that says we can't do this. The long shot is getting a celebrity or LeBron James on the show. Mm-hmm. If if that if LeBron James or some celebrity comes on the show, it would be so easy to get them to sign whatever book. Uh, yeah. So this is very much in the realm of possibility. <laughs> I like how you're talking about this. Like, once we've gotten them on the show, we can get them to sign whatever we want. I think we can get him on the show. Here, okay, here's the thing. We just need we just need our listeners to help us out a little bit, right? Because yes, because there's, there's no way LeBron's coming on a show with like five listeners. So, you know, just once <laughs> once we build our media empire, <laughs> we we can get this LeBron James signed Redwall copy out to somebody. Luke, I'm gonna actually I'm gonna say that this goal is easier than getting LeBron James on the podcast. Because if we figure out how to get a copy of Redwall to LeBron James with the request for him to sign it, how long does it take celebrities to sign stuff? That's a valid point. No time at all. If he gets a copy of the book with the request to sign it, you know he's going to sign it and send it back to us. Right, yeah. Because it'd be so easy for him. Yeah, incredibly easy. And it would like it would make our whole lives forever. So <laughs> Let's just start sending copies of Redwall to LeBron. i'm on board (laughs) it's like those challenges that you see where somebody eats a picture of somebody else for every day for until they notice them but this is we send lebron james a copy of redwall every day until he signs one and sends it back (laughs) i'm willing to spend the money to buy so many redwall copies of redwall to send to him well presumably so we wouldn't have to buy that many because they would probably come back to us if they didn't make it. Oh, right. LeBron's not LeBron or LeBron's publicist is not going to throw these in the garbage. They're just going to say return to sender. So we're going to have this cycle of books that is going between us and LeBron James until he finally signs one. That's that yeah, that's actually a good idea. I'm okay, I'm going to say that would work. It would be cooler if we had LeBron on and he he it would be cooler if he read the book that he signed. Oh, that would be so incredible, Luke. Right. Honestly, I think that would that would be like the positive version of the insanity that is reality right now. You know what I mean? How reality is mm-hmm. kind of insane in like a nightmare way right now. But LeBron James signing a book and being in a book club with us is insane in the wildest fantasy kind of way. In the in the like, wow, I must be dreaming. Oh, nope. LeBron James actually here with me. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to start uh, making this my top priority. In life? So, in life, yes. Okay. <laughs> good goals, good goals. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes for me. 
Um, but yeah, we'll we'll report back. And if you uh, if you want this signed copy of LeBron, you know, just go ahead and start tweeting at us. I, I don't know if that's the right way to do it. What's the hashtag going to be for ha- this LeBron? Hashtag, book? hashtag, uh, LeBron signs Redwall. Yeah, that's a good hashtag. So that's a pretty good hashtag. <laughs> get it trending. Okay, Luke. Oh boy, uh, we're we're going to talk about the author of the book that we're that we're reading now. Everybody needs to strap in for this one. Because Luke and I were so on point to call out Dan Simmons last episode for being a little bit insensitive. And and Luke and I, we thought we were being a little bit too sensitive to those kind of things. And so we did a little bit of reading about about Dan and, and what he's into. Oh, boy. So So last episode, I don't think we talked too much about it, but we did both notice some kind of insensitivity towards... Uh, people with Down syndrome and Muslims. I, don't, I think that was what we talked about last episode. And yeah, we both were kind of a little like, you know, I don't know if I'm being too sensitive about this, but we should bring it up. But t- go ahead and tell us what we found. Yeah, so I did a little bit of reading about Dan and his most recent book that came out where he basically creates this scenario where muslims cause a second holocaust to occur uh followed by the entire like the complete collapse of the united states because of barack obama so um dan oh yeah also texas and most of the southern united states is overrun by illegal mexican immigrant gangs that are just pillaging the countryside oh what other choice nuggets i think those are the like big ones my actual my favorite part of this was the fact that the United States went into economic ruin due to uh, what what did he say? I think it was due to entitlement programs. Yeah, that's exactly what he said, Luke. Why why don't we go ahead and put in the preface here? And this is probably the last I'm going to say of it. We're both probably pretty on the liberal scale of things, just as kind of a showing we, we might have a little bit of bias here but i i think it's fair <laughs> uh yeah we definitely have some bias uh and this isn't going to be a political too like much of a political rant and we're not going to be getting political in the show but i think it's important that we talk about dan because we're reading dan right now and so we need to put dan in context so people are aware of the fact that we don't necessarily agree with everything that dan believes or espouses for sure. And and we're going to call, I think we're going to call it out. Like I've got a couple of things uh, in the actual text of this book itself that we're going to call out too. Right, 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 right. So yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, so I, I don't think Luke and I are mad. We're just very disappointed in this, in this realization um, because we've, we've now seen Dan Simmons join the likes of uh, Lovecraft and Orson Scott Card, uh, the ranks of sci-fi slash horror writers who just don't really have good opinions about things. <laughs> and if, if you don't know about uh, Lovecraft or Orson Scott Card, Lovecraft was considered racist in his day, and he was in the, he wrote around the 1920s. So if that tells you anything about how kind of insensitive Lovecraft was. And Orson Scott Card is in the same realm of 
modern insensitivity that Dan Simmons occupies where he thinks that gay people shouldn't exist. So uh, Dan Simmons is joining in a whatever, whatever the opposite of an illustrious club is of writers, which uh, I, I think is something that is important to keep in mind. Just because somebody writes a good book does not mean they have good opinions about anything else at all. It's essentially like asking a sci-fi writer to build a computer. That's not really a valid relation. Like, sure, they know generally how technology works, but when you get into the fine details, things start to get a little bit fuzzy. So the other thing about this that's disappointing is, okay, when you're sitting down to read a book, it's it's very different from when you're reading something in the news, right? Because when you're reading something in the news... I'll, you know, sometimes I'll hear it as Kai Rizdal, or if it's a really depressing story, maybe I'll bring out Terry Gross to read that in my head for whatever story it happens to be, you know, just to have a little soothing presence. <laughs> that's, that's a smart move. <laughs> Way to cope. It's, it's actually really nice. When you're sitting down to read a book, though, it's, typically it's at the end of the day, you're a little bit tired, and you read it in your voice. So when you start hearing these just insane ideas coming out, it's so jarring, especially when I'm like getting ready to go to bed. I just, I don't want to be suddenly awoken by this, this idea that, oh, Muslims are all terrorists and they're going to take over. Like, I don't want to hear myself saying that in my head. That's no, thank you. And so you, especially when these like ideas are, Obviously, no one expects like sci-fi to be true, but these ideas are put in place as in like these happen in the future. So like it's not like some fantasy world where, you know, it's nonsense. These sci-fi books are put in context of this will happen in, I don't know, I don't know what that book is. is that book is in like 2040 or something like that. Right. Isn't yeah, it? it's it's yeah. predictive. Right. And so... When you hear this prediction of something that seems radically wrong, it's like, whoa, ho- hold up. Come on, Dan. I thought I could trust you. Here, you're you're getting in my head. I'm letting you in. And you say some shit about Muslims. It's not, that's not true. That's rude, Dan. And so you have to be, it's disappointing and annoying because you have to be vigilant while you're reading and you can't just kind of lull yourself into this story because you have to be aware of the fact that at any point, Dan could slip in some political belief that is just absurd. Okay, there's, there's, I swear this is almost over. The other reason it's disappointing is this isn't really a bold or new take on anything. Like, if I wanted to hear how Muslims and immigrants were destroying the country, I just have to wait another month until Thanksgiving, and I'm going to hear all about it, just like I did the last year and the year before and the year before that. Like, this isn't new stuff that I'm getting from this book that's bold and innovative. He's just regurgitating everything that my grandfather says. Right. Or you could check Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I think Twitter's better because my grandfather doesn't actually say this, so. <laughs> okay. Uh, the last... And I think the most important reason why we're talking about Dan right now is because it's important to put these kind of things in context. And it's important for two reasons. The first is to remember when you are reading, and this is true about anything, when you're reading it, it's somebody crafting that. It's not 
you know, it's not from elsewhere. It's not like truth that's written down on a page. It's like somebody wrote it. So you should be a little bit critical of things that you're reading. And so because we know that Dan disagrees with us politically and might try and throw some things in there, we need to be a little bit extra vigilant while we're reading. But the other reason is just because if somebody hears that we're talking about this and we start complimenting Dan or I mean I really like this book I think it's really it's pretty well written and I don't want that to be misconstrued as condoning Dan Simmons uh, because it's really easy to just assume that because I like one of their works I really like them and all of their beliefs as a person and that is definitely not true Uh, and I think it's important when you're talking to anybody about a book if you know that the author is problematic, but you like the book to mention that you think the author is problematic. And so it's important to say that you have a distinction from the author and you recognize that they have problematic perspectives, I think. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's definitely a good thing that we need to bring up just just to make sure that, like I said, we're not going to get too political but this definitely, I want to. We want to put this out there so that people know that we're definitely not going to get political on the side of Dan Simmons. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that. Let's go ahead and wrap this out of book discussion up. But I think we're also going to bring that kind of thing up during the actual discussion about the book because there are certain parts of the book that we can talk about with that. And it definitely changed the way I looked at parts of the book. I don't know if it did the same to you. Yeah, I think a little bit. I think I just trusted the book a little bit less where I was much more hesitant to read it in my comfortable voice. Right. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into the book, though. So we are on, we finished chapter two last episode, which is through Colonel Kassad's chapter. So we've done, the last episode covered Father Hoyt, I believe, and Colonel Kassad's chapter. This one is the next two, which is... The, the poet's chapter. Martin Salinas, I think is his name. Yes. Him and... Um, Sol Weintraub. Sol... Traub? Right. Right. Are we going Traub? Uh, I was going Traub. Okay. Weintraub's good. Let's go Weintraub. Okay. Uh, the, <laughs> those are the two chapters that we've read, and that's what this book will be covering, or this episode will be covering. So first, let's. Just, I, I just want to get us in... That was a serious discussion. I want to get us into a uh, less serious uh, mode. Please. So one of the first things I noticed about this, the the first chapter being Martin Silenus's chapter, is early on he talks about his his life on Old Earth. Mm -hmm. And at one point, I believe he's in New York City. And he slips it by real quick, real quick. That A, New York City is like completely underwater. And B, I don't know if this is in in the same like paragraph or something, but there's also mention of dinosaur herds. I don't know if you noticed that too. Oh yes, I noticed that. I so my issue with this is that he just says the word dinosaur herds in there with like plus there's dinosaur herds or something like that. You can't just you can't just say <laughs> There's dinosaur because this is like, what is this the year like, twenty four hundred or something like that? I think. 
that Weintraub is talking about living on old earth. That, that's what my because I think I actually did the calculation. It's like twenty six hundred. Okay. Okay. Six hundred years from, now, <laughs> there's going to be just casual dinosaur herds. Well, no, it's it's not six hundred years from now. It's like it's much less than that because the poet was in like several hundred years. The poet oh, oh, was asleep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so so, what are we thinking? Like twenty three hundred? I'd say like twenty two hundred. I'd say we might see dinosaurs, Luke. Wow. I'm actually excited for that, but but my but my point is, if you're going to talk about dinosaur herds, talk about dinosaur herds. So I think this actually, this relates to another a problem that I had, which was, they talk about old Earth constantly, but they talk about what happened to old Earth basically never, and it's there's a brief mention of it in these chapters where old Earth had a black hole inside of it for some reason and that's all they give you and then it collapses and you're like wait if you're that obsessed with this why is there not more at least people being sad or angry at the at the company because it seemed like it was a company that caused this black hole to be formed in the middle of the earth how come nobody's pissed off and talking about that anymore if something uh, people are still pissed off about stuff that people are still pissed off about the civil war okay so i think people would be a little bit pissed off about the earth being destroyed and when you consider how much of a like historical site that would be considering think think about us going to see i don't know like roman ruins or something like that <laughs> the think about the idea of someone destroying ruins that are like 2000 years old or something like that. Yeah, it would be all over the news. It would be, but <laughs> if if old Earth gets destroyed by some company just being, I don't careless or I don't. It doesn't say what happens. Right. But let's 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 care a little bit about old Earth. <laughs> yeah. So I think um, the reason why <laughs> the reason why he doesn't talk too much about dinosaurs is because then it becomes Jurassic Park, because then you've just created Jurassic Park. And somebody already wrote that book, so Dan couldn't write. <laughs> Dan enough. couldn't write Jurassic. <laughs> this book started as Jurassic Park, and Dan was like, "Oh wait, we got to do some rewrites," <laughs> <laughs> which is fair. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we brought that up so we could get off of a serious topic because my next two bullet points. I'm hoping you have something in between because my next two bullet points are going to take us back to Dan Simmons oh, being no. problematic. All right. Uh, we're <laughs> going to get a little bit away from that. There is <laughs> when Martin Salinas goes to his publisher and it's it's like when he is rebelling against them making him publish all these like pop culture dying earth novels and he has finally come out and said he's going to publish this work that he spent a lot of time on and thinks is really good and his publisher says nobody's gonna buy it but she says it in this exact way and i wrote it down because it's important she says no one wants to pay to look at another person's angst (laughs) tell that to my chemical romance (laughs) yeah that's hold on luke i have several more tell that to blink 182 I I knew when he was coming. Luke, tell that to some forty one. <laughs> Luke, just keep coming. Luke, with like tell that to early two thousands. Luke, tell that to Good Charlotte. 
Luke, tell that to Paramore. Luke, tell that to Green Day. Did you tell that to Green Day? Luke, tell that to Weezer. Luke, tell that to Fallout Boy. This is such a good Luke, point. Luke, tell that to Panic at the Disco. How many do Luke, you have? Luke, tell that to Linkin Park. Oh, that's a good one, actually. <sighs> so this publicist is an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a long... I didn't realize how long that list was going to be when I started reading it. <laughs> and isn't, like, Catcher in the Rye basically teenage angst? I don't know if you read that yeah, book. I didn't read that book. <laughs> Good, this is a very educated <laughs> fake book club. <laughs> but yeah, I that's a good point. Everyone wants to hear about teenage angst. Think about how many TV shows are about kids having a tough time. <laughs> there's a there's an entire genre of movies that you can go see in the summer that is teenagers having a rough go of it. Kind of in the same vein as this. She talks about uh, people that like no one cares about poetry anymore a lot mm-hmm. like in in kind of the same vein that no one's going to buy this book even though it's supposedly like a masterpiece and i think so dan simmons wrote this in i think 1989 or something is when it was published i believe and i'm realizing why he wrote this because at first when, when this first came up in the book I thought, I was like, that's not true. But I realized this was written before hipsters. (laughs) And I don't see the hipster movement going away. I don't think there's any chance that like high quality poetry is not getting read by a lot of hipsters in whatever year this is. Oh, it definitely has its niche for sure. Which... No, I think that's so true because Dan Simmons was writing this at a time where computers and it seemed like the internet was going to be a thing because the the web is basically the internet and the problem is he didn't anticipate the backlash to the internet, which is people buying uh, moleskin journals and writing with a fountain pen. Sorry, a quill. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, Dan. Yeah, excuse me. Which and a pretty sizable number of people to where Moleskin still makes money and that's an entire company. So I think one dude could probably make money selling poetry. Oh, for sure. For sure. Considering there's now, I don't know how, it, it never says what the actual population of people is, but you got, considering how many more people there are, the hipster numbers have got to be pretty high. But I actually have now... We're going to go back into Dan Simmons. I have a theory. (laughs) Oh, boy. This I developed 20 minutes ago, so we'll see. Um, This is a world... So so in this book, we see some instances of Dan Simmons being kind of problematic, right? But not quite as bad as his his newest book that we talked about earlier. I think that's called... The newest book that we're mentioning is called Flashback, if you want to go on Wikipedia and read the synopsis yourself. Right. So Dan Simmons is already kind of right wing in this book. Not, not super extremely mm-hmm. hipsters haven't happened yet. I'm thinking <laughs> that hipsters are causing Dan Simmons 
to go crazy. They're pushing him to the right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You you can almost see the progression of right wing from Dan Simmons's book in 1989, where he where he thinks people don't care about poetry. And okay, this is gonna be this is gonna be just like I'm gonna get my. This is going to be nonsense. We might we might cut this next part. <laughs> he talks about another part where there's one planet that's really good for making coffee. Really? I don't remember this at all. There, there's one planet. I forget the details of it, but basically it makes like all the best coffee and all the best coffee in the like human society is made on that planet. Yeah. Okay. I think it's pretty optimistic to think that people still care about good coffee when you can go to Starbucks and get when you and and see so many people going to Starbucks and getting just like sugar water basically. Well, Luke, this has to do with what I what I assumed the name of the planet was, which is Starbucks Prime. <laughs> Is that a combination of Amazon Prime and Starbucks? No, I just think Prime is a way to make something sound like a planet, you know? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, this is why I don't I don't think we're keeping this part because I have no connection between the two, but for some reason I wrote them down on the same line. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think these are connected. These are definitely connected because with the rise of the hipster movement came the rise of like of the fancy coffee movement, came the rise of the like the barista who actually knew what roasting beans and and how you get different extraction levels based on the heat of the water that you put through and if you have a coarse or a fine grind like these two movements came together and the rise of these two movements have caused Dan Simmons to go off the deep end both of these two movements have caused Dan Simmons to go a little bit crazy well what we're saying is Dan Simmons first of all thinks that in the future People won't really care about poetry and um, it'll still be really important that we get all the best, the best coffee beans. In reality, (laughs) the hipster movement gets huge. People love good poetry (laughs) and we can make wondrous beverages (laughs) with even the worst coffee beans. And it's driving Dan Simmons mad. I just, I just realized, I just realized why it's driving Dan Simmons mad. He's pissed that he didn't call it. And so he's trying to force it. He's using his writing to force the future that he predicted in Hyperion. And so he's trying to he's trying to write books that are so problematic that hipsters stop reading. <laughs> That's got to be it. That's got to be it. Whew. I'm glad we could make this somehow. This is a topic about dancing. <laughs> Somehow a complete mess. And I think we succeeded. All right, uh, Luke, let, should we get a little dumber? Oh, I'm ready. So the console is the console is officially a pirate, right? <laughs> is he? So these these chapters he got on a pirate ship. Okay. The wind ship that they are taking is a pirate ship with a wheel down the middle. And and the <laughs> Colonel Kassad gives the consul his gun and has him walk. He has him keep watch over the ship for a while while they all sleep. 
and I just imagine him with a old Tommy Flintlock pistol and the, his tricorner hat and this flowery blouse and I'm picturing pantaloons. I don't know if they're pantaloons because I don't remember <laughs> the description, but just marching around decks with like cannonballs and things like that. He's a pirate. <laughs> oh my God. I completely forgot about the way he was dressed. <laughs> I think this is the point of the book. <laughs> I don't know if it's the point of the book, but it's definitely one of those like nuggets or Easter eggs. <laughs> because there's no reason this should look like a pirate ship, but it does. Right, right. right. When you think of the technology available to them, this entire... This entire world and their the way that they have been building things, like we talked about the um, we talked about the the tin roofed ship earlier or in the last episode. Yeah. This entire world has been leading up <laughs> to just making the console look like a pirate <laughs> on this ship that that rolls across fields. I just can't wait for them to get to Tortuga and the console's name to be revealed as Jack Sparrow. God, that'd be a plot Wouldn't twist. That'd be incredible. Where's that book, Dan? Dan, where's that book? See, you could have done so much better, Dan. That being said, I do like this book. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good book. <laughs> okay, let's talk about. I had this later, but I want to talk about it now because you just talked about him getting that gun i guess we're calling it death wand. they call it a death they call it a death wand yeah. what what is a death wand you can't just say death wand this this is the same thing i had with the with the dinosaur herds probably. yeah i well you can't just say what a death wand is i mean the other thing about it is they talk about it like it's so dangerous and deadly because he talks about the setting that he puts it on and it's something like it has half a meter width and 10 meter distance. That's gigantic. If you think of the cylinder that's coming out of this wand that is apparently just going to kill whatever it's in its path. Half a meter wide is a foot. No, that's like a that's, foot and a half. Yeah. <laughs> that's like a cannon. That's like it's shooting a cannonball, which like further supports my pirate hypothesis. <laughs> Good point. Way to bring that up. Um, it, it, my issue is just mostly with the name of it. Yeah. Like, and they take it, they take it seriously and act like it's some super intense weapon. And then there's one point where I think his publisher, Martin Silence's publisher has one yeah. and he sees it on her and he's like, I hope she doesn't actually know how to use it, which by the way, it seems very easy to use uh, yeah. <laughs> considering the description. But the fact that you can walk around seriously with, what is seems to be considered like the best weapon or at least personal weapon yeah and just with a straight face calling it a death wand death wand sounds like when you're trying to intimidate someone but you don't have much time to think and you're like don't come in here i've got uh i've got a uh a death wand yeah, I think it's just a lazy way for Dan to not describe what this thing does and just give a name that's like, oh, it's bad. It it kills people. It's like a it's like a stick that that has death. It's a kill stick. Oh no, can't go with that one. <laughs> um. Okay, let's go. I'm gonna I'm gonna take us back into serious. Oh boy. 
Here we go. There's one point when Martin Silence is talking to his publisher. Mm-hmm. I forget the context of this, but it's it's something about politicians writing. Mm-hmm. And his publisher says something about Hitler writing Mein Kampf. And it's, oh, oh okay, no, I know the context. She's talking about his last book that's, that was super popular. It's something that pe- like everyone has to have, but no one reads. And she uses Hitler's Mein Kampf as an example, which, first of all... <laughs> No one has that book lying around on there. <laughs> and secondly, uh, Martin Silenus responds with, who was Hitler? And then she responds by saying, by describing him as a politician that did some writing. I'm going to go ahead <laughs> and say, we don't remember him primarily because of the writing. So... So <laughs> I think this this is where I assume that Dan isn't saying Hitler was known for his writing. This is where I assume it's just they're trying they're trying to be really understated with what they know about history. Like they're trying to show off that that they know he did writing and not that they that he did the Holocaust. No, like it's Dan Simmons trying to show how these characters don't really know history. It's Dan Simmons trying to show how these characters, like, either, one, these characters are being serious and they don't really know history very well, especially as publisher. Um, And actually, Martin doesn't know history very well either. He knows poets. Or they're both being really sarcastic in this instance. Uh, And I'm not, I didn't make the assumption that Dan is saying how... Hitler will be remembered mostly for writing and nothing else. Okay, I could see them being sarcastic. I could see. Yeah, that. yeah. That's what. At least, <laughs> maybe I'm giving Dan too much credit, but he didn't strike me. He didn't strike me as the Hitler kind of uh, right winger these days. Right, but there's also he also brings up another in this book. I think uh, in Weintraub's chapter, he talks about a second Holocaust. Yeah, which. This might have been just me not giving Dan the benefit of the doubt because of what we now know about him. So when I was thinking, you know, there's a second Holocaust and everyone knows about the Holocaust, but then there, he's he's understating Hitler's effect in it. It was just, I had some problems with it. If they're being sarcastic, that's fine, I guess. But now that, I wanted to bring Yeah, it now that you say that, I do remember now them mentioning a second Holocaust and the fact that they would... Yeah, the fact that they would call it a second Holocaust means the only other explanation means they must have been sarcastic about who Hitler was. Or, yeah, or Dan is trying to say that Hitler will be just remembered for his writing, which seems very unlikely. Also, I want to, just before we move on, I want to really just quickly go back and note the fact that in this story, the publisher, or in this story, Everyone has a copy of Mein Kampf. Yeah. Uh, what What kind of future is Dan Simmons predicting? Because well, Dan is trying to portray it as like, this is a very important historical book, but nobody reads it. But like, it's a very important historical book even now. But I don't know a single person who has or even talked about 
like let's be if you walked into somebody's house and saw on their uh coffee table a copy of Mein Kampf you would leave immediately <laughs> well we would hope you or I would leave immediately right yeah I, well, I think I think the people that would not have leaved, we've already alienated by the beginning of this episode. I so. certainly hope so. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Um, man, am, I can't believe I'm going to be taking us to like the stupid bits. Yeah, that's usually my it's job. It's usually Luke. All right. Oh, and I guess I guess I started a little serious, so I'll keep dumbing it up. Okay, I've got a theory. Oh yes, and. The best part about this theory is it might be my theory that has the least amount of, amount of evidence so far, which which that's, means it has a lot of not saying a lot. It has a lot of potential growth, which I'm excited about. Okay, sure, sure. Okay, here's my theory. I think the androids are super closely linked to the Shrike, and they are responsible for the Shrike's activity. Ooh. Okay. Okay. So I think the reason why I think the first thing that tipped me off to this is when they are approaching the end of their journey on the river cruise and they're at, they ask the android who's guiding them what they're going to do afterwards. The android says, well, we're going to be all the androids are freed from service once we're finished with this cruise. And they ask him, oh, so you're going to leave. And the androids say, no, we have our own business to attend to. And uh, I'm sorry if an android said that to you and there was a murderous, a murderous, sharp, shiny thing running around. I think you'd be a little suspicious. <laughs> I First of all, <laughs> I love your description of the Shrike as a sharp, shiny thing. <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. Uh, yeah, I, I know. But but that is so suspicious of a thing to say and then just leave it there. You didn't ask what they're going to go. What, you don't care what they're going to do. That's pretty. OK, so that tipped me off a little bit that maybe the androids are a part of this. And then it's easy to find a motive because the androids are treated as slaves and they have been for a very long time. Even when we heard about Sad King Billy in order to get the city ready, he sent a bunch of androids to cultivate everything and work as slaves for a while. So the androids obviously have a motive to kill all the people because, you know, they would be seeking potentially vengeance or even freedom from the people who are enslaving them. And then there is this, there, there is the part, there's a line that takes this theory to the next level. And the next level of this theory is that one of the party members is an android. Ooh. And they are the one that's in cahoots with the ousters. And the ousters are on the side of the androids because the hegemony is enslaving them. And the the line that tipped me off. So when they finish their river cruise, they go up on a hill and look out over the sea of grass and martin salinas says something like i don't see the wind ship and then this is this is immediately after that four other men four other men woman and android said nothing okay there are seven of them on this pilgrimage right now oh 
I recognize the android who took them on the ship also comes up onto the hill with them because the android has a speaking part later. And so you're aware that the android is there. But so is presumably another man that isn't identified in that list. That list only identifies six things. And then the one who just spoke is the seventh. This is convincing. The The alternative to this this scenario okay so there's silenus says four other men a woman and an android that's a total of seven yes if i if i'm doing my math correctly that's correct and there's there's potentially it's it's either talking about the android that we already know about uh-huh. or the seventh person is a person we think is a person but isn't actually or <laughs> a much more fun alternative <laughs> Is that the seventh person is just like screaming (laughs) (laughs) or talking and no one wants to hear or no one wants to address it. Or they just. (laughs) (laughs) There's one person just saying nonsense. (laughs) Just that that really is based on that line. Those are the two possibilities, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Definitely. Either that or Dan didn't count correctly. (laughs) <laughs> which yeah which you know it's very possible never. Um. <laughs> uh, but yeah i think if you're gonna write a book and you're gonna be that meticulous about it you're gonna count how many people you identify as being quiet after somebody says something and so i think that was a little i think that was a little foreshadowing for detail-oriented readers that one of the party members is an android dang it why do you always get me going on your theories do you not love it i was so convinced now (laughs) yes (laughs) you started this off with saying that there's no evidence or almost no evidence i think there is very little evidence of this theory oh gosh i'm so convinced though (sighs) we love it i can't wait until it's right (laughs) (laughs) there's gonna be oh there's just gonna be so much self-congratulation when we figure out that this is correct. So, um, okay. I like the theory. I like it a lot. Let's, we've, let's just briefly, I didn't have anything or I realized that everything that we've talked about is so specific that we've not even talked about the main storyline. Oh yeah. (laughs) So so let's just quickly say, I guess what happens with Martin Silenus is, you know, he has this whole writing career that's kind of crazy. And then he ends up going to Hyperion and he, he essentially, his thought is that he is the one writing, which is making the strike kill people essentially. Right. Am I missing? Yeah, I think so. And it's, it's hard to, tease out whether or not he believes that metaphorically or if he believes that literally but he i think he definitely believes that something with his writing is connected to the shrike in some way and i think if assuming that his story is true that there's got to be some something to this considering everyone in the city except for him dies <laughs> so i don't and the, and the thing so we, we we also we know one of these people is a spy Right. I'm going to say it's probably not him because, well, okay. 
Uh, okay, it might it might be him, but I think his story has got to be mostly true, considering how easily fact checked it would be. Well, not once he got to Hyperion. Okay, the Hyperion part is not easily right. fact checked, but his entire background is easily fact checked. Oh, for sure. Granted, granted, he could easily have made up the whole thing on Hyperion. Right. Right. Sorry, I just realized more evidence for the android thing, and I I need to bring it up right now before I forget. Okay, sure. Yeah, do your thing. Uh, so it said when we first were introduced to the androids, I think that they had bluish skin. Their skin was tinted slightly blue. The Paulson procedures also make your skin turn slightly blue, and we have evidence that two of our party members have had that claim to have had that procedure. The Soul Weintraub and martin salinas claimed to have had these procedures to make yourself look blue so there would be very little suspicion about their blue demeanor which could also indicate that they're androids i'm just i just had had to put that in there but i so the thing about the story on hyperion and the how the shrike seems to work is it seems like it works very at least in the two stories that we read for this chapter, it the Shrike works very literary. Literarily? It works with a lot of symbology. There we go. It utilizes symbology a lot because the, you know, you have the poet who the Shrike seems to have some kind of desire to have contact with or include in their story or whatever. And then also with Soul Weintraub, Weintraub, I I still didn't get it. Weintraub. Weintraub. Um, Presumably it's the Shrike that is coming to Seoul in a dream. and Yeah, that's what it's implied because we've also had the Shrike's eyes described the same as what he sees in his dream. Yes, and the Shrike comes to Seoul in the same way that God came to Abraham in the Old Testament. And the Shrike caused Seoul's daughter to have this reverse Benjamin Button disease. Or, no, not reverse, th- to give his daughter Benjamin Button disease. Which, like... Yeah. I mean, if you can write so well that somebody can make a movie just based on one part of your book, like, that's pretty good writing. Yeah. Yeah, that's not too shabby. <laughs> I actually did... The- I actually did the same thing. I wrote down Benjamin Button, but no other notes. And I don't. I, I didn't have anything to actually talk about it. But. Yeah, I have that exact same thing on my page. <laughs> uh, it is. Should we jump to Weintraub's story? Yeah, now? yeah. So it is. I, I don't think I've seen Benjamin Button. To, I, I have not either. <laughs> so this may be totally off base, but I think it's a way worse version of Benjamin Button disease. Because I think in Benjamin Button, he just starts out as an old man and lives his life yeah, just getting younger. Yeah. So he keeps all of his memories and everything. Yeah. I, I think that's right. From what I remember of, I think I saw five minutes of that movie, and that's exactly what I remember. So yes, it's <laughs> considerably worse. Although, when you start getting towards the end, it's probably a little better. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, like like when he's getting to the point where he's... In Benjamin Button, when he's getting to the point when he's, like, young and healthy. I'm assuming baby Benjamin Button. That was a really fun alliteration. I'm assuming baby Benjamin Button still had their memories. And I'm I'm assuming they were then just in a baby body. 
And so imagine being in a baby body, but, but not being a baby in your brain. Think how awful that would be. It'd be rough. It'd be really, really bad. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> I like that we we're just speculating on a movie that we haven't seen. Yeah, we should. <laughs> it's not really. We should probably get back to something we're more uh, authorized to yeah, talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. So, so wine drop story, right? Yeah. <laughs> we we t- we talked about this uh, like offline, but it's just it's rough. It's so. Yeah, I finished this before Luke, and I sent him a text to just preface him before he got into it. Like, yeah, this chapter is brutal, uh, and it, it there is nothing redeeming about it. And at the end, you can hear the characters all just be like, ooh, yeah, I'm going to go outside. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, damn. And all the other stories have basically ended or been leading up to this crescendo where it's just insanity, right? Mm-hmm. This story kind of starts almost with that. Not at the very beginning, but when, uh, what's the daughter's name? Rachel. Rachel actually gets the, like, sees the Shrike or, or has whatever disease given to her. I think it's called Merlin, kind of the crazy part. Merlin disease. Yeah, I think that's what they call it. Uh, when she has that given to to her, that's kind of the big part of that chapter and then the rest of the chapter is just pure like showing how terrible this would it's be. just getting the perspective of two parents whose daughter has an incurable illness that ruins her memory and every day wakes her up with this panic and every day it gets worse and there's nothing they can do about it and watching these two parents deal with it and yeah I'm, yeah i'm not gonna lie i didn't i didn't have a great time reading it. Yeah, it sucked. Uh, okay, but <laughs> something that struck out to me right off the bat is people in this soul wine tribe only anticipated to have 75 healthy years of life. That's how long we live now. You're telling me that unless you do these weird Paulson treatments that make you turn blue and have other strange side effects... People in like, it, it's about 2600 is the future date that I've figured it out that we're learning about this is 600 years of technological and scientific advancement haven't gotten us any longer healthy lifespans. I'm calling BS. Yeah, that's fair. That's when you consider how much we've improved in the, just the last, I don't know, century. They, right. And they have faster than light speed travel and they can yeah they can teleport places they have far casters where you can teleport from one place to another but people still only live to be like 75 to 80 years old what what (laughs) there's like news stories that come out now that are talking about how to reverse aging right and when you consider the fact that they have androids come on yeah (laughs) <laughs> I'm calling this a lack of imagination. Yeah, for sure. And I just wanted to this. This should be quick um, because we have been talking for a while. But time debt would be so freaking inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so time debt is just that 
everyone else is kind of on one timeline. And when you get time debt, it's that you've slowed your personal time down, but everyone else is going past you. Is that right? Right. So it's when, I don't know, I haven't, I didn't really look up the science. I don't know if Dan Simmons did either, but the, uh, I think it's like the relativity situation where when you're going faster than light or I guess close to the speed of light, your time is much slower than the time outs like of other people that are not going. So when people are going on these trips that are, you know, they're, they're, when they're not forecasting and they're taking ships that are going faster than the speed of light, it takes, I don't know, a few weeks or months for them, but it's like seven years outside of their world. That would just like wreck your life. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's it's like the same effect that happens in Interstellar. Right. Yes. If you've seen Interstellar. Which, come on. Yeah. Who hasn't seen that at this point? I'm... And yeah. So yeah, that's what time debt is. But yeah, time debt sounds freaking awful. And it's so casual. Like when Rachel is talking about going on this trip and incurring a time debt of, I think it was three years or something. And it, it seemed very nonchalant to Rachel, but that's three years there. And then three years back, that's six years of your parents' life that, ah, that's very rough. <laughs> Although, good way to go into the future. Yeah, yeah. So. Martin Martin Silenus knows. Oh, for sure. Too bad it didn't work out for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's kind of a bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, like... I thought it was a little ridiculous how he overpowered brain damage with force of will. Is that what he did? Yeah, because he said he had he suffered a stroke while he was. Oh, oh, yeah, and he just basically practiced poetry until until his brain worked again. Yeah, and it's like pretty impressive. Yeah, but also pretty rude to all the people who've had strokes and are trying really hard to have any kind of a normal life nowadays. God damn it, Dan, Dan Simmons. <laughs> Pretty fucking rude. <laughs> I can't wait till Dan Simmons listens to this <laughs> podcast. I'd have Dan Simmons on. I'd chat with Dan. Would you? I mean, I would. I wouldn't. It probably wouldn't go anywhere, but. It wouldn't be the same style of chat that we would have with LeBron. This is definitely going in, right? <laughs> no. So. No, there's no way. There. Here's something that's going in. When the word finally gets out that Soul's daughter, Rachel, has this disease, he talks about it like the paparazzi shows up and tourists start coming to his house. Can you imagine a more boring tourist attraction than a girl who gets younger every day the same rate as everyone else gets older? (laughs) That's such a good point. Yeah, the tourist attraction, because you're not seeing it in real time. No, you are. That's why it's boring. Or, 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 or yeah, but you're not seeing effects of it. Yeah, you. You're just seeing a little girl. <laughs> so your buddy comes up to you and is like, "Hey, have you seen Rachel, the girl with Merlin's disease?" And it's like, "No, what is that? That sounds. Can she cast spells? What's?" What's the deal with that? No, dude, she's aging the she's aging the opposite direction. Oh, whoa! So you can see her like shrink. Well, if you 
if you watch long enough, maybe. What do you mean? Oh, well, it's like every day she gets one year or one day younger. Yeah, it would be like, well, I don't care about that now, but that sounds like a dope movie in a few years. (laughs) And like the other thing is it would be if somebody told me that I would think that they were making it up. It would be my first. And then even if I went and then two years later went back to see the girl who's aging the other direction, it would not be exciting at all. Right? It would just be, oh, yeah, she's definitely aging backwards. What What else is there to see? Here's, here's the other thing that they bring up. There's apparently uh, a lot of souvenirs. Right. <laughs> what do you think that is? <laughs> like bobbleheads? <laughs> That's all I can think of because I can't think of any. Shrinking bobbleheads. Or I'm thinking of, like, Russian dolls that go the other way <laughs> I was just going to say nesting dolls, yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't understand why there's suddenly a giant tourist tourist destination to see the girl who's aging backwards one day at a time. And presumably, I think it's been mentioned pretty well that forecasting is pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. So you would be spending your vacation money to go see a girl come on kids looks normal <laughs> come on kids get in the van we're gonna go far cast to see rachel like <laughs> dad we don't care we don't care at all which i mean in the grand scheme of things we're trying to get we're trying really hard to get someone else to have a Redwall book signed by lebron james so i don't know that's way more interesting luke <laughs> I completely agree, if I'm honest, yeah. I don't I don't know why I brought that up. Yeah, I just, it's so absurd to me that anyone would care. I get that scientists care. Like, yes, it's astounding and incredible. But who else would care? It doesn't, doesn't add up, Luke. It doesn't add up. Also, they, they've super quickly jumped to the conclusion that she would disappear when she reached zero. You don't know that. <laughs> you have no idea what's going to happen when when the clock runs out for Rachel. Absolutely no idea. True. Maybe she starts aging forward again. Oh, yeah. But yeah, there's no That's this is god. Damn it, Dan, you bring up good points. <laughs> I know, Luke. And well, the other thing is, how fascinating would that be to watch Rachel what would she what would happen would rachel turn into an egg and a sperm and then what would happen to that egg and sperm <laughs> right well okay the problem is there's already he brings up the problem of conservation of mass and it, it's it like apparently doesn't apply here well so i mean i guess it's possible that she disappears yeah but but, but i could imagine that mass could just be mass could disappear in the same way that it does for us where when you like turning into energy or... yeah yeah so it turns into energy and co2 so maybe mm-hmm. rachel's metabolism just works which soul brings up it's, a great it's, it point. takes it takes energy to make her age backwards yeah. or something <laughs> right and the, the scientists who come in bring up this point that maybe rachel's metabolism works backwards and Soul's like well she doesn't eat out of her asshole so explain <laughs> that one to me 
<laughs> and I was just like, so that's a great point. <laughs> so killing it. Um, but yeah, they don't know what will happen when she, like they keep saying she's going to die or just disappear. Or it's kind I of a pl- implied that she's going to disappear, but that's not how ba- babies don't come from nothing. And this is a completely new disease or whatever. She, she could turn into the strike into the strike for all we know. Oh, Luke. Luke, what if Rachel is the woman from Colonel Kassad's story? (laughs) If if this is right. (laughs) There's no way. There's no way it's right. And here's why. Here's why it can't be right. Stupid. Uh, Rachel is famous. And her picture is super, like, everybody knows what Rachel looks like because she's literally the only person who's aging backwards and who has ever aged backwards. So Rachel's famous. Colonel Colonel Kassad would know what Rachel looks like, right? I don't know. Like, I agree that she's famous, but by that logic, everyone would know this story already. So they would already, everyone on this trip <sighs> should know the story that Weintraub is about to say anyway. Yeah. I, this theory is a little too wild even for me, Luke. I don't know if I can I don't know if I can support this one. I can't give this the Dan seal of approval. That's fair. That's fair. I this is something that I just don't like when people write this way or or this is when uh I don't know how Soul's wife's name is pronounced. I'm guessing just Sarah. Oh but it has an I at yeah, the end. Yeah. I was actually going with Sarai. When, okay, sh- yeah, that sounds good. Sarai. When he first meets Sarai, it's just, first of all, he, talks about, he basically says she's like not that hot, which I think is funny. Yeah. But uh, then he just talks about like, you can see her great personality and all of that, that whole thing. I, I don't know what more I'm going to say about this. I just don't like when it's just like visible to everyone when someone just has like a super great personality in a book and it's never explained why this person has a good personality. It's like, is she funny? Is she really nice? I Yeah. You know, Luke, she just has that kind of personality that you, you in particular reader would find interesting. <laughs> it's like the Bo Burnham thing where your eyes are a greenish, bluish, brownish color. Oh, sure. Sure. You know, where like any any one reading this book is picturing a certain person. Yeah, it, it allows you to use yeah. your imagination in a way that that uh, Dan doesn't have to write what the personality is that he's identifying, just that you would like it. Hmm. So good trick. That's a trick. <laughs> Smart move, Dan. It's a quick writer. Lazy. <laughs> it's a quick writer's tip. <laughs> uh, we need to, <laughs> we've we've called Dan Dan a lot, and I have called myself Dan several times. I'm just going to leave it up to the listener to decide when we were talking about me and when we were talking about the author of this book. Uh, so, yeah, I also had this problem when I was writing this description for the last episode, but uh, that might come up for this for the description of this episode too. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, I think we need to start choosing books that aren't that the authors are not Luke or Dan. So, especially if we're going to roast the author, <laughs> super hard. God. God, this episode has been absurd. It's been really crazy. Um, but Dan Simmons, come on the show. Come on the show, Dan. And uh, uh, also, if you want to get, or if you want someone 
a general person to get a Redwall book signed by LeBron James, please uh, like, favorite, and subscribe. Uh, yeah, be sure to follow us on Twitter. We don't have Instagram. People keep asking. We're not going to get an Instagram. We're not going to get an Instagram now. Stop. What would we post? Stop asking us. Yeah, but you know what? You know what we do have, Luke? What's that? You know what we're going to continue to have, Luke? Tell me about it. We're going to keep throwing hot takes, and we're going to keep being dumb nerds. 